Welcome to Hot Singles, a music podcast. I am your host, Autumn. I am joined, as always, by Regs. Hello, I am Regs, or Michael, pronounced they them. And our guest this week is Marcy. Hey, I'm here. I'm Marcy. Um, I was going to say, what album did everybody bring? But I didn't bring an album. Regs, Marcy brought three. Marcy brought three this time. (laughs) (laughs) Spiritually, Marcy 100% brought three. I didn't intend to do this. No, because I did, I came in last time with nothing, and so I was like, oh, Marcy has something that she wants to... Marcy has three things? Sure, let's do that. Yeah, three albums that, like... One of which we were always okay. like... I knew we wanted to have a conversation about Gex with Marcy. I also mm-hmm. had been listening to a bunch of different rap records with Marcy and was like, what's the most Marcy core episode we can put together out of stuff we're all interested in? And I feel like we've nailed something here. Yeah, no, definitely, for sure. So uh, you probably could have me come up for like a West Side Gun or Freddie Gibbs episode. That would have been fun. God, next time Gibbs puts out an album, we'll put we'll bring you back on. Um, okay, I'll, also, I sorry will... just to be there's is West Side Gun like there's a crew in Buffalo? Is that the thing? Yes, it's for Zelda. Zelda. Yes. Yeah, I don't know it yet at all, but you both um, put me onto it. I will get some listening he, done. We'll he puts out an album like every month, or someone at Griselda puts out an album every month. So. Uh, That's intimidating, they, honestly. <laughs> they're all twenty it's minutes still, long. It's still got good for them, <laughs> and they're all like quality. They're like all like pretty quality projects. Yeah, they're all really good. Okay, okay. This week, because I I tweeted right before this that I might have a six-hour episode in me. Um, so this week, the albums we're covering in order are going to be "Descendants of Cain" by Ka, a 2020 album. Um, um, "Weight of the World." by Mike, another 2020 album, and then um, A Thousand Gex by Hundred Gex, which is an album from last year. And we might touch on the remix album that came out earlier this year, but I don't know. Um, is there more intro stuff that we need to do, or should we just get into it? I'm up for just getting into it. Yeah. Let's get into it. You seem to have great influence here. Well, when age speaks, youth listens sometimes. Every now and then Every now and then In a square off the fair Every now and then Didn't talk, let it air Every now and then Get it in me side with crooks Every now and then Inquisitively hit the books Every now and then On evade, I played the fool Every now and then Was help me lay a jewel Every now and then Love things I should've lusted I rushed it, snub things I should've trusted My comments ain't for quick alignment, it's for full adjustment If so, did it and chopped with the cops, the hood disgusted As such, was in touch with the untouchable Find out for really tough, when the gun stuck to you Bag and work with leeches, work with pieces that's flushable Not with apes, walks to the train ain't safe, they had to usher you No rush for structure, we is freewheeling Need money to shuffle that's why we in the street dealing Ain't the door being on the floor One to reach ceiling Service from the borough of churches Where they preach stealing Only told truth They gave loops with no fruits 
They digs disease the seeds. I produce produce. Just drop the gotham. I had to blossom and grow roots. We chase with product, got up on the shoulder with no boost. Every now and then. Every now and then. I break my chains when I'm around the pen. Malls made rice, I ain't leave a grain Nobody played nice, I was breathing pain I had to cuff a gun, was nothing done in Jesus' name Years of school was cool, but only street smarts we retain Big risk for little rewards Some of all these guns is trigger remorse Another daughter on the border with a list to try and get it across Too many married to games, they should've divorced, of course that's loyal to a fault They said it though You never know who loyal Till you caught People I love blood Is in the soil that I walk On the curb serve the servant But it's royal when I talk Every now and then Every now and then Every now and then Every now and then I hold court Every now and then I stolen fort Every now and then their way every now and then every now and then I still feel hate every now and then every now and then caught fresh every now and then cultivated but digress every now and then every now and then So Kurt is a New York rapper. He's like old school. Um, I think he might be in his forties by now. Um, in terms of his background, is part of like a like a very well established New York underground rap scene. Had a bunch of Jizza album features in the like mid two thousands. Had a pretty productive solo career. He's probably had like six albums out by now. I found his stuff with his last record, which is called "On a Kill the Samurai," which is two thousand sixteen. And this is his 2020 release, um, produced by a bunch of fellow New York underground people, including Rock Marciano, who's the only featured artist on this, on track nine, Sins of the Father. Um, and yeah, that's the sort of like history. Who he is as a person. There was a, there's a, there's a wonderful anecdote that the New York Post splashed the idea that this like anti-police, anti, anti-white people rapper was secretly the moonlighting second life of a New York City fire department um, fireman. And that's his day job and talks very explicitly huh. about uh, like that's that's the, the way he gets paid and what he does in the evenings is he goes and makes music. Uh, huh. in time, I didn't in know time, that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a cool little little piece of the story. And then like Obviously, all the like New York icons come out. Like, you get stories about LP like coming out and smashing the New York Post for trying to like make a thing out of someone like doing a day job and then going home and being a rapper. Um, you can just like at the very last track, you get the, it's called "I Love Mimi Mom's Kev." Uh, that's his partner, his wife, his mom, and Kev's. I can't remember the name, but Kev was his like rap partner who died in a car crash. Mm. In, I think early 2010s or something like that. But like, yeah, it's like 
a bunch of his early career was done as a duo and he has been a solo artist since his partner passed. But yeah, that's the like little bit of a bio that I have for us. So the moment that this all kind of became unlocked in my brain is the moment that you said that he got his start uh, uh, featuring on Jizza albums. I was like, okay, now I understand. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes sense. Like, I say this as someone who's never really been into Wu-Tang as, an, as a collective or any of the individual artists. I'd never loved them in the way that I have loved the other artists. No, I, again... <laughs> oh, I'm just going to get fucking roasted, aren't I? But this is the thing... <laughs> This is the thing. I come to this as both a British person. So, like, the first rap I heard was, like, Dizzy Rascal. And then, mm. secondly, the first American rap I heard and loved was, like, first album, Kendrick. <laughs> like, this, that I mean, was that's the... a pretty That's a pretty good combo for rap. I mean, yeah. it's incredibly good. It's just of a very different generation. And so, like, I go back to whether it's East or West Coast stuff. Like, I go back to stuff from a generation prior and it just doesn't hit. It doesn't click the same way that the stuff I'm used to does. So, it's I very want... weird going back to stuff that, like harkens back and like lives in that generation so much i want an album to have one drum beat on it that goes boom 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 and i want it to sound like the drum is covered in all sorts of dust I yep. <laughs> yeah i want i want the rapper to sound like he's standing 10 feet away from the microphone <laughs> <laughs> or he's screaming into it yeah, I want the noises of chains dangling in the mic. Yes, then recording. <laughs> yes. Um, I whereas I want it to be a guest feature on a Taylor Swift track. That's what I want. <laughs> no, you that's don't. Not, that's, that's not, not true. true. That's not true. I'm sorry. I can't believe we could say some, such a thing. I'm sorry. I remember the existence of Bad Blood and was just like, oh god, that really is my. No one remembers home. the existence of Bad Blood. <laughs> We can all if put you ask Kendrick this. or Taylor, they would be like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, so like... People remember what... that song for... I'm oh, sorry. That's, people remember that song for like, the Katy Perry disc more for Kendrick. Yeah. No, that's yeah. <laughs> God. We're never talking about Taylor Swift on this show, but... Yeah, we for, for, for an artist we've committed to never talking about, she seems to get an awful lot of free real estate. <laughs> she does. <laughs> she does live in here. She does live on this podcast rent-free. Oh, uh, damn. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, like, in terms of the what's going on in this album, um, I thought I'd just, like, what's the what's the story thing going on here? Which is, like... Obviously, the rap itself is, like, really a mix of autobiographical stuff and really narrative stuff. But, like, the running motif thing going on is about the story of Cain and Abel. So, mm. for the uninitiated, for the not religious among us, for the people who haven't done your Bible studies, um, mm-hmm. Cain and Abel is a story in the Old Testament, uh, being the descendants of the, the Adam and Eve in the Garden. Um, mm-hmm. Cain and Abel are brothers. Um, Cain is jealous of Abel, who is beloved by God, and he is not. And to spite um, Abel, Cain kills him. And then when God asks, what have you done? Cain lies about having killed Abel, and God says, you'll be marked. Then the mark of Cain starts to become this, like... Th- there's an I- The idea of the mark of Cain takes on a life of its own, beyond just the biblical text. So, like... Um, a lot of people basically, or historically, have talked about the mark of Cain as basically being blackness. And, like, that's an interpretation that has lived in, like, hmm. racist theology forever. Um, that, like, 
that blackness is a mark of damnation fundamentally and that you use their biblical verses as like a textual justification for it. But also it's also about marks of poverty, like part of the biblical text is that crops won't grow and like that's why Cain is supposed to be the one who like builds cities because he can't grow crops, things like that. Like there are all sorts of elements where like the the way that like uh, anyone reinterpreting the story of Cain and Abel and like the descendants of Cain, those marked with the mark of Cain um, could like so easily, so obviously transport it onto like modern modern experiences of race and blackness um and like that's just the huge part of the storytelling this album is just done through that analogy and that uh parallel Mm -hmm. and like it doesn't necessarily need to be a story about race i think in a lot of historic interpretations it would absolutely be that but it's absolutely a story about like marking and difference but also kinship and those are like the two big thematic things that keep coming up in this Mm -hmm. album am i am i my brother's keeper um and and then all the textual the, the textual stuff like there are tracks here called land of nod literally that's a thing that's in the bible not just a, a throwaway saying yeah I, the eye I of a needle exactly. a real thing from the bible a real thing <laughs> from the real bible lots of lots of real things from the bible on this album yeah indeed um this might be my favorite album we've talked about so far um uh-huh. certainly the my favorite album that i hadn't heard before we recorded Mm-hmm. Um, or hadn't heard before we decided to cover it. Uh, this is just, uh, this is my favorite subgenre of rap music. And I was joking about it a minute ago, but it is just like storytelling, wordplay, um, kind of interesting, like, like, uh, flow. And then just like, yeah, just the type of beats that I like that it's just like dusty, dingy. <laughs> um, this is just the shit that I love. I just, yeah. I, I, I love this. <laughs> yeah, the, the interesting me, like, the interesting thing about this production is that, like, because uh, so let's say, okay, let's go to like something like Griselda, which you know, mm-hmm. they have like their own like template, like kind of style where like it's these like very slow, menacing, like, like boom bapish, but like not real. It's like very just like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, gritty and stuff. Yeah, but, like an artist like Kyle, like. And like this kind of production takes it even further and just like takes out all the drums mm-hmm. and just like lets like like a sample or like a groove or anything just play out, just like just flowing over it. Yeah. The lack of drums was super, super notable to me. Like I listening back through it today, I listened to this after the Mike album. The Mike album has got very little drums. This has got even less drums. And that was somehow <laughs> impressive. That was an achievement. Um Yeah. Um it like what it does with the lack of drums is this like it's also interesting where are they taking this or oh, what he he's self-produced most of this album it's like four other four other tracks produced by people and the rest is by him hmm. like the uh the uh like the stuff it's drawing from is a lot of like rock and prog and soul and gospel that like i don't know what the tracks are but those are like the sounds that it's getting it's a lot of like old quite clean guitar stuff it's a lot of like vocal harmony stuff and it's a lot of um, quite lush instrumental, like textured into instrumental music. And yeah, like it gives it this sense of like, I don't know. I, the, 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 I'm obviously like staring at the album artwork and like, it's very much got that exact, like highly textured, dark, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like grayscale, like washed out 
<laughs> really doom laden um, thing, but it's done in this very filmic and very like reserved sense. In, in like, it feels very panoramic and very at a. It, I feel like it's music at an arm's length, which is really yes. really excellent, given that it then puts like his voice and his performance like front and center. And that's what sits in front of your face the whole album. It's not it's not quite nihilistic, but I think doom laden is like a good term for it. Of yeah. just like the way that he's just like, like there there is a sense of inevitability to all the darkness on this album. Um, mm-hmm. of just like mm-hmm. like th- the same shit keeps happening for like my entire life. You know, um, it's just kind of always you know getting harassed by cops and all these sorts of things. Um. Yeah, it's good. It's good shit. I fucking love this album so much, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's, good. I like. I like it. It's here's here's the thing. Like, I dig this album. It this is actually one of those albums where I feel like I have to sit with it longer to like fully appreciate it because I haven't had too much time with it yet. I so it's been interesting because like I um I thought we were gonna record this three weeks ago and then I had to push things back maybe even four weeks ago at this point I don't remember now. Um, and so I've been You've listening to it a bunch. Surgery, but it's, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's an album that I've listened to a bunch, and I feel like I'm still kind of like picking away at it. Like I, there are sometimes like when a new Kendrick album comes out, where I'm like, I'm gonna pull up the lyrics and I'm gonna read every single one tonight. Um, and that's not how I felt about this album. Where it's like I'm just gonna keep getting little bits every time. I don't need to like go read everything. I don't need to understand everything about this album. Like I can just kind of sit with it for the next month or so and let it keep kind of revealing itself in a lot of ways. Um, which is part of why I've talked about the, the soundscape more than the lyricism. Cause I love his flow. Um, I think it's, it's not unique, but it feels unique because he's kind of like jumping and, and, and pausing and not stuttering, but like coming back in where you don't think he's going to come back in. Um, but the lyricism, I just get like a little more every time. And that's the, that's a thing that I like to do sometimes with an album. And I think this really, like really lends itself to that. Yeah. It's really dense. It's like a lot of like words and like poetry, like going on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like every line has like, every line has like a meaning in and of itself and then a meaning when you put it in the context of the previous line and then a whole nother meaning when you put it in the context of the next line but then like oh there's this like little like internal rhyme thing that you didn't even notice he was doing until like the fourth time you listen to the song it's really fucking good it's yeah it's very layered yeah so the strange thing about that is it's entirely right it's just it's doing that without being metaphorical it's doing that mm. all in terms of like, su- well, not surface level. That implies that sort of like it's got a lack of depth. It absolutely doesn't. It's doing that with like explicit and realist storytelling stuff. Like it's just really literary in that sense. Whereas yeah. like there is one non-cover verse and it's a Rock Marciano verse. And the first time I heard that Rock verse, it was like, oh, there is that- he's just used a metaphor. What the fuck's that? Um, <laughs> and it's just not a thing. It's not a thing that the um, car does at all. He like he uses wordplay and alliteration and technical stuff. And then you just like got a line in the rock verse, like the, the line that I'm staring at is can't kill label in prison while upstart on a visit. And like, that's not the sort of line Kirk could or would ever write. And it's just like kind of stunning how realist and like in, in its own world and like situated cause lyricism is 
where um, it will be so much, I don't know, it will be really hard to write. I I find it so impressive simply because it is so restrained and controlled in the way it uses language. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, as soon as you have anyone else, uh, like, sitting next to them, it's, like, quite clear that, like, you could be so much more expansive and so much more, like... Uh, indulgent with the way you use the metaphors or the way you use the mirror between the religious, like the religious mode of speech and the like realist and like present day mode of speech. But like, mm-hmm. he just doesn't, he uh, like sticks to one and stays in that register for the entire album. And it's mm-hmm. meticulous and consistent. And everything is written to that standard. And that, that's mm-hmm. just stunning to me. Yeah. I, um, I love I love when a rap album feels like just very written, very constructed. I also love the other thing, but the other thing is very common where like I don't know, I I grew up listening to a lot of rappers who bragged about never writing anything down, which is great, is a thing that I love. I will always love. But there's this other thing of just like I'm going to meticulously sit here for six hours and write sixteen bars, you know. It and I'm is gonna, so like, meticulous. Like, there's not like a like a wasteful bar. Yeah. On this, everything is like intentional, in the way it's delivered. Hmm. Um. Yeah. It's just, it's just the just other the added. Yeah. The other added thing is he's doing that without like overcomplicating his flow. It's not like it's overwritten. He, he, everything feels very within his natural cadence. There are almost known moments where he steps out of what he's very used to. Which again is like, it keeps the focus on the, the lyricism in most of the cases. Like, there are occasional flourishes, and those flourishes are really rewarding when they come, but they're not the centerpiece. There's another artist, a younger artist, I can't remember his name, but he did The Neverland, or the. Uh, what am I thinking? Who am I thinking of? He's on Dreamland. Um, he's on Dreamville Records. I cannot fucking remember uh, his name. Ah, fuck. Um, oh, uh, Jid? Yeah, Jid. Um, he is, um, he's another guy who I think is very meticulous in this way, but, like, the thing that he does that's so meticulous is he, like, just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and puts, like, a million syllables into every bar and is, like, over, like, trying to overwhelm himself and you, um, and, like, uh, Ka, by contrast, is, like, not quite minimalistic, but, like, very sparse you know and it's just a ve- it's a, like a very two very different ways of getting at like this same like or two di- very different destinations from the same method of like um like i've totally lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it, it like again because i am less steeped in like particular rappers and particular rappers of that generation there is a bit of doom that this reminds me of slightly with the with the, I have like, been trying to stop myself from mentioning Doom because I was probably going to mention Doom on the next album too, and I was like, are, "It's going to be really too much autumn if I talk about Doom on both of these albums." <laughs> Look, it's honest, not our fault. Doom is like a major influence on like on, every rapper we like. Exactly, that's, that's true. But, yeah, but there are different elements of it. One is like the there's a there's a we can talk about what we think influences Mike. For Kurt, it's the like the ability, and again, this is having all listened to Doom on Mad um, on Mad the Beat so often. It's the ability to hang in the pocket so effectively, is to to have a beat that's relaxed enough that you can find pockets that are very very much off it, and like sit there and be comfortable there, and not sound like you're being hurried or falling out of the pocket. And that's mm-hmm. something that just like a skill that I like 
find incredibly impressive. <laughs> it, it's just like there are some rappers who feel incredibly capable of like finding those holes in the holes in the beats and it's I that's that's I love that shit. I just yeah, think so people good. love finding pockets and like beats that you don't even know where the fuck a group mm-hmm. would even a group would come from. I um yeah I hear a lot of uh doom in Cosflow but where doom is stringing together just like a million nonsense words just to like yeah. give this punchlines um yeah like a, a million punchlines like instead of punchlines it's like storytelling which is like holy shit I didn't know you could do like the thing that doom does but about um like real shit you know yeah uh-huh. <laughs> So, so I guess like we've talked a lot about how it does the lyricism. Are there any like particular lyrical moments or bits of the album you want to like drill into? Um, or just any like, I don't know about drilling into it, but just the That's very it. first song yeah. every now and then, just like, I just think is a fucking masterful song. Like I think maybe the album opens on the best song on it. It's really fucking good. And, um, uh what was the what's my there was a line on here where i was like oh i'm gonna like this album i can't remember what it was (laughs) um oh yeah okay there's i like this line off of uh patron saints uh never marinate on beef you don't play enough finishing yes yeah yeah that's good oh uh this this his second verse and then the um the chorus on every now and then uh, is just like where I was like, Oh, I'm going to like this. I'm going to like this. Um, (laughs) Too many married the games. They should have divorced. Of course that's loyal to a fault. Um, They said it though. You never know who loyal till you caught. Uh, That's just, that's the good shit. And then just like, I think ending the song or nearly ending the song on like break my chains when I'm around the pen every now and then it's, ah, it's good shit. (laughs) There was one line that did kind of get me cracking up, which is second verse of Land of Nod, mm-hmm. which is, um, oh God, there's, the, the, the whole section is, generally outgoing, but around the decoy, the decoy, Malays most days be years before I speak joy, what they profess is estrogen, I, but I don't eat soy, I can't party <laughs> when they party, trying to kill each boy. <laughs> that just is like a little sub, sub verse, like, that, yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, that that just that was a moment that like <laughs> should we move on to the next one or anything any last thoughts about this one the uh, yeah the I, I just want to talk about Sins of, the, Sins of the Father as a track because it's so good the it's again it's very much a mad lib thing that i hear in the production which is it feels like the the sample is a phrase that's the wrong way around if that makes sense um that like well we we kept talking about the sort of like how do you communicate a sense of like inevitability or a sense of doom ladenness in production Mm. and this that this this product this track on its own just fucking nails it um just as a as a loop it fucking blew me away is it i'm trying to think is it my brother's keeper that has the one that's got the um just like the one bar of the like soul sample just the people ah it's really good i can't remember which song it is it's probably my brother's keeper 
I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna listen to all the songs real quick and figure out which one oh, I'm yeah. talking about. It abs- it, it is absolutely the the one where it's, the, this got like super high vocal line and then just descends yeah. back into the track. Yeah, that's my brother's keeper. That's the good shit. That's the good <sighs> shit. Yeah, there are. Uh, yeah, there are just a bunch of those. Again, because the production is so restrained, it's so subtle, and it's got no like drums and need for like particular dynamics to it. Any moment that does poke out is really really like affecting uh, so yeah i'm i'm just fucking blown away by this album i i still don't think it would top grave for me but um, that's in terms of albums we talked about on this podcast that's probably the only I recent will, one that it would top. let me let me pull up pinecast.com and look at the albums we've talked about <laughs> just to make sure i'm right <laughs> but yeah, i'm pretty I, sure i'm right we've talked about some good older stuff too but you know <laughs> um we got Punisher, Grey, Chromatica, It Is What It Is, Making a Door Less Open, Hopelessness, Car Wheels, Purple Mountains. Yeah, this is my favorite of albums that are new to me. I don't know if this is as good as Car Wheels, but Grey is definitely the second best one. Yeah, um, so I, sure. might flip, I might flip that, but it's in that company. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, let's move on to Mike, I think. So Mike is another New York rapper. Um, like, spent a bunch of time in London growing up. And so his first experience trying to rap was, a, like, also grime, basically. Um, mm-hmm. The And then when he moved back to New York, he got involved with, like, he started up his own crew called slums um did a bunch of collaboration with a bunch of other like new new york experimental rappers standing on the corner being the most significant of that struck up a friendship with El sweatshirt and that is sort of like the collection of people who are like his contemporaries who are working in a similar style and vein to him and i think i think this this album's inevitably going to draw a lot of comparison to the El sweatshirt album some rap songs and mm-hmm. the stuff that I've been doing the last year or two, but like that's the that's the sort of vibe going into it is like more less New York specific, but a slightly more globally looking like experimental rappers using this kind of like 
broken down, fucked up production to do cool, emotional stuff. Again, every single track bar one is under three minutes. Most are under two. This is a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a quick hitting, the rapid fire, 16 tracks in 35 minutes. Um, so, Where to start with this one? Someone else go first. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of wanted like, how is this not an El Sweatshirt album? I think that was that was like one of the yeah. things going into it that I wanted to like make clear for myself. So I like, go for most. Yeah, I don't know because like I don't know people like uh, Mike and like Mike and crew. I feel like like they're the people that Earl was like got like inspired by to where like when Earl came back to you know do our music like some rap songs what came out and that's like like totally a byproduct of like like the oh. rappers around him. I didn't realize. Mike did May God Bless Your Hustle, which came out... When did that come out? 2017? When did some rap songs come out? Uh, <laughs> like 2018? 2018. 2018? Yeah. I, remember, I remember everybody telling me in... I remember everybody telling me in 2018 when some rap songs came out. Like, hey, you gotta go listen to this Mike album, uh, May God Bless Your Hustle, because that is absolutely what Earl is pulling from. It, they're absolutely right. And I did not realize this was the same artist, but yeah, no, this is, uh-huh. Earl is pulling from Mike, not the other way around. Yeah, it's re- that's really is the case. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, so, I think it, it could be argued that like Mike is like pulling from like, you know, like, uh, like earlier, like Earl Sweatshirt work, but like, yeah, I yeah, think no, there are yeah. two, uh, there are two albums, there are two artists that are in conversation with each other a great deal. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Earl and, shows think, up like, on the In conversation album. also, like, I think, uh, just a real like artistic kinship with each other. Like I think mm-hmm. like the work they make is like a like work well against each other. Yeah, yeah I think you're absolutely right. So yeah, in um, that case, like what about this project differentiates it from the stuff that we're familiar with from Earl? That's like the the question that I was like starting thinking about this from. And like I go back to some rap songs and the production compared to so like i talk about this mike album as being full of these like quite fragmentary short tracks that like don't overstay their welcome that like feel really beaten down aren't full of like beat they have got almost no drums in them not even again i was shocked how little drums there were on the car record it's even less than there on the mic record but there's still very little drums going on here um the the main thing for me though is that like this isn't as broken up as the old record like it's still to some degree fragmentary but more in the way that like chopped and screwed and plunder phonics is rather than like noise is and that the the old stuff approached like abstraction yeah that's probably the way i describe it abstraction and noisiness much mm. closer than this does which is much more about like how would i describe it yeah, it's more just about being, like, the normal stuff you like being a bit fucked up. It's more directional. It's more transparent and more, like, intelligible. And, like, it, it's it got a sort of, like, brightness and sharpness to it that the old record just often, like, just completely doesn't have. The, the old record, like, so very frequently the- is, like, it's just, it's... Uh, it's descended into like chaos or noise and like that's the mm-hmm. that that like if i had to try and do like a thematic differentiation of the production is that's the that's the differentiation i'd pull out so one of the very first things that i did when i listened to this album was that i i pulled 
I had this song up on Spotify or whatever. I pulled it up on YouTube too so that I could link it. And I tweeted, hey, Curly, is this a sample from the Street Fighter 3 character select screen? (laughs) 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 And the whole album kind of feels like that. Um, Lyrically, the album is very much about grief, um, um, about like losing people in your family and, and, and like very heavy subjects. And sonically, it kind of gets at that through like, a lot of samples and a lot of things that kind of sound like things you've heard of somewhere else, but then Curly told me, no, I don't think this is a Street Fighter 3 sample, but it's like, it sounds just like it, though. <laughs> and it's like, it's not nostalgia, but it, like, makes you think about something that maybe gives you some nostalgia, but it's all distorted and it's not quite right. Um, and I, like, I can't... There's no other sample on the album that feels so clearly to me like it is like I think I know where that's from, but there are a lot of other there are a lot of other samples and sounds and things going on in this album that evoke something for me that's like ringing some faint bells that I can't put my finger on, you know. Yeah, so um, the, the one for me with that is More Gifts. More Gifts is functionally a vaporwave oh, track. Oh, for sure. It's just a vaporwave track, basically. Um, mm-hmm. All the way down to the, like, Korg M2 synthesized, um, like, plucks. that like... I have heard that specific sound slowed down over, a, like, a, a lounge beat. So many times in my life because I've listened to a ton of vapor because that's a thing that I've done. It's just that like the the like the the, we we've God me and Marcy have talked about this so many times. There's a sort of like (laughs) a way in which you cannot simply reduce vaporwave to like ah it's like thing you know but turned down forty percent or whatever. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. there's a first nightcore mm, exactly. (laughs) Dude, fucking good. <laughs> uh. But yeah, like there's a particular like sonic quality to what happens when you do what you do with it. And that like using it as a rap beat is an entirely different deal to like you're attempting to listen to that as a structural element. And it's just that like the sort of thematic stuff it just keeps going. This is this that's my favorite run of the album. Like six through nine is more gifts, what's home, delicate, no no. Mm-hmm. And it's a stretch which just like there's a sort of contour to it. I want to say that um, I mean, just try and rescue the thoughts I had. Yeah, that the it's a is it a switch up halfway through what's home? I the, think like, so. Yeah, that there's a sort of yeah. weird progression where it co- goes from like nostalgic and hi-fi in more gifts to like a different kind of kind of like more like post clams casino but even more lo-fi at the first mm. half of what's home and then a sort of like m- almost getting towards old territory of like messy and fragmentary but still with enough of a drum beat to keep it focused and then like delicate is a like in another world that that's a kanye beat it's like chipmunk vocals but with the bottom end taken out and No No is like a, a funk or a soul track, but again, repurposed in a really interesting way. This little I, this, this little section is just like 
what you can do with this kind of production is have these sort of emotional contours that completely refuse to give you catharsis. And that's the like thing that was so interesting about this album was like, there were so many moments where I was like expecting explosions. I was expecting like emotional outbursts and it wasn't giving it to me. And I thought it was uh, not frustrating. It was really, really, really rewarding to walk through the sort of emotional contour allowing it to like grow in ways that like on an old sweatshirt record you just weren't getting you weren't getting ecstatic moments at all on the old sweatshirt record but like Mm -hmm. back half of no no is like it's almost there and then it falls to pieces like it's got a contour to it that i really really enjoy and then all the writing i've seen about this album is just like this album's not expressive enough and i'm just like what the fuck are you hearing i don't understand (laughs) mike is like Mike is the most expressive person. He's like bearing like fucking everything out in like, his music. Like I, it's it's a failure to understand what impact is through the like sonics of the album. If you were not hearing this album and think it's not impactful enough, that like the, the ability to communicate so much texture and emotional complexity without giving you catharsis, without giving you the like huge ecstatic moments of like sad expression like i am sad is not an interesting way of communicating the feeling of sadness the like way it slips slides and falls over itself is like what makes this album work for me and i really really fucking love the, the, the like progression through the middle so of I, the album i have an actually constructive thought that'll add to the conversation and i have a mean thought which one do we want to hear first mean first go for mean first okay um everybody who writes about music just think listens to fiona apple and thinks that's what expression and impact is like like, mm-hmm. like fucking... <laughs> i mean not um wrong. i don't have anything to add to that i haven't listened to any fiona <laughs> apple <laughs> i like fiona apple i just like that album getting a 10 when it's just like whatever whatever i don't need to trash on that album i don't need to trash on it because i like it anyway (laughs) the actually constructive thought i have is that there was something that earl talked about in the run-up to because i remember when the first single or not even a single like a clip came out from some rap songs and we were kind of like what the fuck is this this doesn't sound like anything that i have like a framework for in my head and uh, earl was talking about like he wanted to make a jazz album and you know not in the sense that like um jazz is people playing an upright bass and a saxophone or something but um in this like in this like tradition of black music that is free form that is experimental that is always trying to push the boundaries and the particular ways in which it is trying to push the boundaries and that kind of unlocked everything for me. Um, and, like, yeah, I think anybody who's writing about uh, Mike and saying that Weight of the World is not expressive enough is just closing their minds to, like, unique and interesting ways of expression, <laughs> you know, um, that are rooted in, like, um, in, in trying to stop yourself from having this big outburst, you know? Like, it, it's so clear to me everything that's going on on this album. It's so good. And, like, to hear that anyone would not think that is just absurd to me. Yeah, see, like, that's how, like, that's how I saw Like, it's, like, this, like, complete, like, uh, like, marriage of, like, these, like, you know, like, they're bar, like, they're not, like, the most, you know, cleverly constructed bars possibly. Like, they're, like, you know, good lines, you know, going there. Mm-hmm. But, like, like, the marriage of that with, like, this, like, abstract like 
very like you you don't know where stuff is going beats like just, just, just like playing up with like the emotions and like every, like all the stuff like uh mike's talking about it's mm-hmm. like all the emo- yeah it's i just, I just love it yeah. <laughs> so i've good shit i had a friend who wrote their master's dissertation about the l sweatshirt record and like got me onto a bunch of the hashtag theory about the, the artistic and music and literary and music theory thing was using mm-hmm. to talk about that and it was a mix of negritude which is a old I want to say like uh 30s origin um moving in like francophone black art the the name that always sticks in my head for that is MSSR who is like I know just as much as a like critique of colonialism as an artist and writer and then Afro-surrealism is a thing that grows out of that, which is like the world fucking strange. People who attribute like otherness and strangeness to blackness are just as strange as we are. Let's like strategically adopt things that um, like demonstrate and reflect the weirdness of the world back at the like dominant conceptions of us. Like that's a mm-hmm. bad summary of how like the, the dynamics of Afro-surrealism work. It's very specific and very like, that again far more complex than the uh the the like the like pastiche of of a narration about it i can give in two sentences but like i feel that there is a there is a a, like a weird kinship between everyone saying uh this um this album doesn't give me the emotional climaxes i'm expecting from it and the like people approaching i don't know i th- i want to sort of say fucking fanon and going like this isn't giving me the like audience response i'm after or tony morrison fucking and like mm-hmm. it, p- this is not for you this is not for your artistic sensibilities if you're trying to write it into your artistic sensibilities you're doing it wrong and that like to approach it on terms other than the ones that are set by like black artists and their own terms for it is just the wrong fucking way to do it so um yeah like i when we put it up next to other artists in a like specifically like black avant-garde tradition we've we've come back to this idea a bunch of different ways but like mm-hmm. the the way to approach the black avant-garde being via jazz and via bits of them like funk and soul and gospel and then it comes with different iterations in rap with its own unique vocabulary and its own like approach that it needs to like rediscover and reinterpret. And that that just has nothing to do with the sort of interpretation like applied to it by like music critics who got to give a score for it and put on pitchfork. (laughs) Just like the interpretive frame is so different. Like you cannot even pretend they're trying to do the same job to the same artistic standards. Just like it would be like utterly negligent and utterly facile to try and think it is. Um, I need to use the restroom very badly. So I would suggest that we uh, wrap up discussion of this album and then I'll go use the restroom and then we'll come back and talk about Gex. Unless, yeah. unless y'all, I don't want to cut y'all off. I don't want to cut y'all off. Yeah. Um, the, I, all I want to do is shout out the title track, Wait the World. Which has ah, love, that's like my favorite song on there. Same, <laughs> um, and like I, I had the like middle section of six to nine, but then wait the world, 
with just some of my favorite vocal shops I've had in a while. Uh, I, 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 I will at least uh, shout out the uh, the last track with the Earl Sweatshirt feature on there. Mm-hmm. Just a great Earl verse. For me, that, that is a great Earl verse. For me, I don't know. I listen, 222 is really good, I thought. Um, That's also my favorite. Um. A lot of the a lot of the songs because of the kind of like minute thirty second nature of everything. Like a lot of the songs, I'm like, which one is that one? But I <laughs> I can't even tell you which one off the top of my head two 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 was. Except that I remember tabbing over to my music app and be like, I gotta remember this one because this one's real good. <laughs> yeah, I had a bunch of those moments, but yeah, um, God, good album. I really really like it. All right. I will be right back, and then we will get into Gex, I think. Hell yeah. Alrighty. Nah, no. No worries. We're making good time and everything. Yeah. It's just snappy. God, I'm just... I've got to wait the world back. How are we going to talk about Gex? I'm I'm hyped. I feel like this goes several different ways. Yeah. I'm just listening to Wait the World again. I kind of want to make a point. Make a point? Uh... No, I was gonna make a point about like that, like uh, on the last track, on like with like uh, Mike's and uh, uh, Mike's verse and like Earl's verse, like like the contrast between the two. Oh yeah. Where like I like like to me like Mike is like a very like kind of like you know his bars are straightforward like his like his, the scheme he's rhyming is like you know very straightforward. It's, it's but it's very expressive what he's rapping about. Whereas Earl like. It's like doing the same thing, but like, like Earl, like Earl still, Earl still comes from like a background in his rap style where like, you know, he's very clearly still trying to get some bars off. Mm-hmm. Where like, like Earl's like now like you know, getting into this uh, lane of like very, uh, you know, like drawn out like expressive rapping that like doesn't have to be like on beat or like you know very technical like of course like you know like very poetic yeah it it feels like he's rediscovered that like there were all the lines about uh like expectations because daddy was a poet in the first couple records and that like growing out of that shadow seemed to be like a really important process for him and he did it through by like concentrating on the poetics and the like tone of speech and lengthening things out and becoming a bit more like Mike, it's just he's still very much got that poetic way of writing that, like, the very like, yeah. precise use of language stuff, yeah. Yeah, which I, I I feel like Earl is, like, a very good, like, blending between those two. Like, mm-hmm. very like very still, like, a rapper, but, like, a, like, someone who's been, like, very inspired, like, artistically, but, like, you know, like, the people around him to where, like, I feel like he's, like, in a really good place in his music. Yeah. <sighs> very, very nice. Um... <laughs> yeah, the, I, uh, if you want to leave that, if you want to put that bit in the podcast, we just kind of talked like a little bit. <laughs> I, I I heard the last little bit of it before I said said anything. I was like, oh, that sounds like something I can like leave in the podcast. Yeah, absolutely is. <laughs> I I am just remembering there was a moment where me and Marcy listened to this album together the first time we we got onto it, and there was a track where you just like screamed at me, where how has he found the pocket here? How has he found the beat? Like there were, <laughs> there are occasional moments where it's just like, I do not know how he's like found a way to stay sounding like connected. And that's just the, like, 
again. What song was that? I don't even remember now. I don't, I don't even remember either. Somewhere in the back half, maybe. Was it maybe Garrett's Quick Scheme? Hmm. Oh, I think it was. Yeah. It's just was, one yeah. of those beats where just like, it's so scattershot. It's so all over the place. Like there is a snare there. Like there is a beat. But just like staying connected to it and staying sounding comfortable and in your own skin on top of it is just like that's a remarkable thing to be able to do. <laughs> but yeah, all right, is it time to head onwards? I suppose so. Um, who wants to? Who wants to intro? Um, fucking Gex. Marcy, can you tell us what a Gex is? Pick it up! Bad my money on a stupid horse, I lost that. So I ran out to the track to get my cash back. I just gotta leave this place with a big bag. So I found the fucking jockey and I grabbed it. Pushed it down to the ground and I punched him in his face. Yeah, I stole this phone that put him in his place. Me and the horse, we ran out of the place. Then we took my horse back to my place. Stupid horse, I just got out of the porch. Lost the money in my bank account. Stupid horse, I just fell out of the porch. Lost the money in my bank account. Oh no. Stupid horse, I just fell out of the porch. Lost the money in my bank account. Oh no. Stupid horse, I just fell out of the porch. Lost the money in my bank account. is a gek is a friend a gek is a <laughs> little guy we can uh, we can all just get along with uh got cool grass got cool glasses <laughs> <laughs> so i fucking aren't a geks hmm. how, how do how do i intro who are geks are I, th- I would just say you had me on to 100 geks a full year before Two years even before this album dropped, I know you've been I, on this train. Here, okay, here's okay. Here's the story of how Hundred Gex like got onto my radar. Okay, was the al- okay the album came out. Uh, I didn't know who Hundred Gex were at the time when it when it dropped, but I had friends on Twitter uh, tweeting about the album, saying like, "Oh, this shit's fucking this is fucking one of my favorite albums of the year." Like this like Hundred Gex it's Silent Gex album. And I was like, "Oh, okay." Like and like these like you know these are friends that I trust with like you know like music opinions and like tastes and stuff. So I went and checked it out. I was like, oh yeah, this 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 shit slaps. This shit's fucking. You know, I'll get we'll get to like more impressions of the album later, but like it's a real good album. And mm-hmm. then like 
just o- over the course of like the next month, mm-hmm. like like word like the word about them just kept like spreading like exponentially. Where like I I, I the first time like I caught a glimpse of it is when I saw Austin Walker tweet about it. Austin <laughs> on, at under, Austin underscore Walker. I Austin underscore Walker tweeting about the Gex album. I was like, wait, hold on. How did let's that get, happen? Let's get some tracks in here, and then I'd see like you know like you know music writers like catch on to it, mm-hmm. and it's... then like fucking you get to a point where now they have like a fucking New York Times piece written about them, mm-hmm. and it's like it's just fucking exploded in a way of like I've very not seen of like music like this. It really feels like it's, it really feels like it's a Twitter thing. Like it feels like it is of and by and for Twitter, and it's weird that it like has gotten so big. Like um, like like, like, like like these are people that like should not be this famous. Like I don't like don't see that as a diss, but like people like <laughs> a, 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 a an artist like Laura Less does not get like popular like this. She is like someone that like. That like mm-hmm. makes music in like cool like uh like, you know electronic and like you know experimental circles I know of, mm-hmm. and like fucking now she has this like big stage of like people like watching after her, and it's fuck it's there's it's a fucking, fucking nuts. Fallout Boy remix of one of these songs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll talk like, about how the fuck that. did that happen? Yeah, I do just want to say that like this is an album that came out in 2019. In 2017 was like the first release, and I swear that this was a thing that like. We never connected who they were, but this was a the, like a five track release that was bouncing around the sort of like SoundCloud slash Twitter music stuff that me and Marcy had been like vaguely into, but like hadn't connected as a thing we cared about or liked. I mean, I certainly hadn't, but I like I'd seen the like weird artwork and the track name and whatever, and seen the link, and then like. It was a exact same tangential experience of like, oh, apparently people like this album. And then slowly cannonball, well, cannonballing, snowballing to the point where Gex ruled the fucking planet. So for me, in, in 2017 and 2018, I was really plugged into like weirdo rap music, mm-hmm. um, but not very plugged into any other genres. And so Gex would have totally passed me by back then. And then in 2018, I left college and for about a year, I just didn't listen to much music because listening to music was so much like a hobby that I did with a bunch of friends that I had in college. And once I was out of that, like I just didn't listen to much music anymore. And so I didn't find out about Gex until after like like the New York Times article and Austin's tweeting about them and it, like fucking everybody on the planet knows about Gex. And I was so mad because I was like, shit. I could have been one of the people who's like, you got to listen to this. <laughs> I could have been. I, I was at like like a small bit. I wish I knew them before like this album because I bet that would have been a really wild a f- experience. A fun experience, yeah. Because the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this is that shit that I like. And I just, I had totally missed it until it was the most popular thing in the world. And I was like, damn, there was a different version of me that at one time would have been on top of this and would have been, like, evangelizing about this before anyone else knew about it, and that now I'm behind. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I was trying not to be that person actively because it's like, there's a bit of me that appreciates being the I was there before it was cool person. 
But then also there's a large part of me that's just like, no, fucking let people like what they like. If it's great, they can enjoy it all they want. It's fine. Chill. So, but yeah, Should we, can we talk about the record now rather than just the like, this is clearly a group, uh, a duo that like inspires feelings in people for reasons. Yes. Mm. Um, we, we um, should do the point out like, who are they? Laura Less, who is trans. I know. And Dylan I, Brady, who is not, and is a dude who produces. And Laura is a person who produces and also sings. And like, that's the duo. Yeah, I, I was actually, yeah, I was surprised to find out because like, I've seen Dylan Brady's like name out there before, but like, it didn't connect with me. It's like, wait, is that dude? Like that guy? Because like, he's like, he's had a career before this. Like mm-hmm. he's like, he's had like races on like, mad decent and shit like in Ausla, like edm labels <laughs> Imagine and, like, here, like yeah like yeah like here he is with like laura like making like this music that's like like in comparison like to some of the stuff he was making like earlier like you know like very different but i mean this is this is the this question album... is... oh sorry go for it, go for it. sorry the, the the other thing about this album um blowing up is that like Laura Less is in some of, like, not the trans Twitter circles that I'm in, but trans Twitter circles that bump up against the ones that I'm in, you know? Like, I know people who knew Laura Less before Gex was huge. Same and not here, like, same here. Not, like, knew um, the music, necessarily, but, like, just knew her. We're just mutuals with yeah, her on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, like I like I knew people like I followed people that like like are in like the same scene as like her. Like like these people have like all come up in like like this like, you know, communal like like music thing. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just weird. It's just weird to see someone so like of us get <laughs> get like mega famous. Yeah, like <laughs> like, like fucking just uh, like this album is a lot because like my I like you know when i was first getting into this album it was like genuinely like exciting and like you know mm-hmm. cool to me it was like something i genuinely dug and thought like you know like i'd never ex- i never expected like music like this would like pop off in the way it did like because it so usually had, just doesn't i have a theory about this i have a theory about why music like this because i also like the other band that immediately comes to mind for me when i listen to gex is black dresses um, and Black Dresses is not a band that I like very much. I'm not trying to say anything bad about them. It's just not to my taste. And so I've been trying to pick apart in my mind what makes Gex so different from Black Dresses, even though I think they have a lot of overlap. And I think the the big thing is that Gex is doing a lot of, like, pretty normal pop songs. It's just that the production is out there and weird and... <laughs> like wild but like the melodies the choruses the like verses they all sound like pop songs that like i can like identify on the charts um maybe not always like it's you know i don't think they're doing any fucking Katy perry songs but like mm, in the last you, you in the last <laughs> in there the are... last five to ten years when soundcloud when uh little uzi vert has become one of the biggest artists in the world um like i can hear soundcloud rappers like yachty in gex and i think that's what like lets this 
become so huge and also the reason that like a fucking normie like me will end up liking it <laughs> uh one might call this uh one might call this style of music uh hyper pop just just throwing yes. it out there yes uh, that is a word that i am aware of but don't actually know very much and so i was waiting for someone else to say it <laughs> <laughs> do we have to do we have to so like there is a scene that is developed now and that scene is like as, so who are the antecedents and who are the people building this scene? It is PC Music, who's a bunch of like London art school kids who make hyper glossy, hyper professional, on sometimes like slightly over the top extreme pop music, inspired by like Eurodance and K-pop and J-pop and trance and chart shit, um, and a, a bunch of dance music besides. It's them. Plus Charlie XCX, who like turned into that lane super heavily. It is Gex, and who else is like fixtures in this scene? Uh like Sophie. Uh, yeah, Sophie, who's like Sophie for sure. Kind of PC music as well has spun out to do more like individual solo production stuff, as well as like being more attached to Numbers, which is a Glasgow label. Um, a more like. Old, old, well, not old school, but a more like established dance music label, and her first singles were all on that label. Like people who have come from a, a tradition, I say a fucking tradition. Why am I giving them the credibility of a tradition? <laughs> <laughs> Fine, you, we can call them a tradition all they want. Uh, this sort of line that is like bashing up extreme hyper modern sound design with pop music forms to produce stuff that a bit like current EDM is taking stuff you know and pushing the extremity on it to levels that like it make it still familiar but familiar in ways that like anchor you into a thing that is like hyper impactful and hyper internet ready and hyper like extreme in exciting and fun ways but you said yeah. it's it's basically like there are in the in the core of it there are uzi songs or in the core of it there might be a katie perry song I think the secret is like out. There are ten tracks in this record. I'm, I haven't done the maths, but if I think I did, I think six of them would probably be emo tracks. Yes. I think there yes. are like three Uzi tracks. I think Money Machine is just a is just a fucking Katy Perry track in a good way. Oh, I, I, mean, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say no, that. I mean that in a good way. I like <laughs> Katy Perry now. Uh, Okay, tiny, li- <laughs> tiny little aside. The majority. Of- I, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get you saying I like Katy Perry now, and then I'm gonna get a clip from the first episode where we said that uh, "Swish Swish" is the worst song of the 2010s. I'm oh yeah, just yeah. play so, that. So they're, they're not in, they're not incompatible. I feel sorry for Katy Perry. That's the main thing. Um, "Swish Swish" and "Raw" are the two most hateful tracks of the decade they came out in. But Teenage Dream is also one of the best pop albums of the decade it came out in. It's so fine. you have Teenage Dream. Best and then, dialectics. And then it... Mm, God. But yeah, the 2020 album has never really over, which is like, that's the new version of Katy Perry, and I'm glad if we have that in existence. But like, ugh, this is me digging myself holes. I don't need to dig for myself. Yeah, um, yeah. You can, you can get out of this hole Yeah, now. so like, Money Machine is just a pop track. That's fine. Whatever. Mm. I think like six out of the ten tracks are like emo tracks. And three out of the ten yeah. tracks are Uzi tracks. And then, like, it, I want to talk about how much this... So that there are a couple things going on here. It's like, how can there be um, a fucking Fallout Boy version of Handcrushed by Mallet? And the answer... Because every the answer is, song uh, on this album belongs on the Warped Tour. Yeah. 
every every well, majority song of this album at their core want to be pop punk. Like that's a thing that's hiding in this album that I like didn't get out immediately, but over time it's been very clear. And like I don't think it's like there's a reason that I have mouth moods in my head when I think about this album, and not in a trivial way, as in like finding the pop joy and the like thing that needs to be taken out of like Linkin Park and salvaged and like being like nah Linkin Park wrote some of the best pop lines or best like written pop songs of the decade that we grew up in and we're going to copy that way of doing things and trust that it's the way that we are or make music is like something I have immense respect for the problem is I didn't grow up with that shit <laughs> like I I caught like three Linkin Park videos a videos a year when I was on holiday and I was forced to watch MTV. Like that was not part of my like radio experience. So it's strange when people like come to the guitar bits on Stupid Horse or something like that and it and like take it to be the like feel like coming home because it doesn't for me. It feels very much like the like this is sort of easy but isn't quite. So yeah. Um how the fuck did an emo album masquerade as an EDM album masquerade as a pop album? Like, I don't understand this. <laughs> I would say, I would say the other point of like, like, un- like another point of like, like inspiration and like, so- like sonic attitude where the sound comes, like, you know, how an album like this exists is, is probably somewhere you're probably more aware of, which is uh, Eurodance. Oh yeah. Like just like very, che- like, like the, the, the cheesiest like dance music of like the late nineties. Yeah, so like, it's it's weird. It's filtered in different ways. Like there's yeah. the there's the sonic sensibility, some of which is just like we're trying to be amusing and trying to be provoking. So like there's the like scar middle bit in. Is it stupid horse? Is it stupid horse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's got the scar interlude. <laughs> Fuck, it's not a ton of phrase I expected to use. Um, Scott interlude. I yeah. don't know what the pro- fucking problem is. Yeah, it's a Scott interlude. Um, this some- is the whole. This is the Scott interlude episode of uh, Hot Singles. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my personal favorite track is "Hand Crushed by Mallet," which is like it is so just, fucking good. It's trying to be a trance track, and like it fucking nails it, and then switches it up to be like a an EDM rager, like the sort of thing that would be on Mad Decent, which it just does fantastically well. Um, so the other part is just like you can't get this album in terms of like ethos in a similar way without Skrillex um, 100% and, and then the thing for me is like oh of course Skrillex was also like originally a metalhead who like transported the like the ethos over in terms of like extremity which sounds to prioritise which bits of the sound frequency spectrum to prioritise how do you turn the impact of a metal or a pop punk album into like dubstep or electro and that like how do you get people moshing at a show with no instruments exactly and that like you get exactly the same going with gex which is both like we're gonna take a bunch of the skrillex sound design but instead of our like framework being dubstep and electro our framework is uzi tracks our framework is like trap beats and alternatively also just like how do you get um uh (laughs) it's the what other I mean that that's the point I'm trying to go for. The I'm trying to flip side the Eurodance one, which is like there is a sense of like 
abusing your prior influences going on in Skrillex that I think that they are like gleefully taking from in a way that like <laughs> Skrillex did I don't think knew what he was doing when he did the thing he did I think Gex absolutely <laughs> do and are comfortable <laughs> with that and are celebrating it <laughs> and this is like incredibly like big man of history like way of trying to analyze pop music and it's bad and I can't actually know anything about Sunny, whatever the fuck is Sunny Fedora, I don't know his fucking name. You know, you know, you know what fucks me up? Intention, but yeah. You know, like, you know, like, like, it is, it is genuinely like, like, uh, uh, that Jack U album that came out, yeah. like, like 2016 or whatever, though, like, kickstart, like, you know, jumpstarted, like, Justin Bieber's career again. Like, it is weird to see, like, that album was, like, actually, like, literally become, like, like, a reshift in, like, you know, like, the EDM space. Like fucking like oh, those like, like the fucking. I remember. Yeah, you're not wrong. Actually, like before <laughs> like, that was like the sorry, Jackie, was, like yeah. the snare and like uh, like the snares on that album in particular. Yeah, it, before that was sorry. That was where are you now? And like that was the thing that needed to happen in Justin Bieber's career to like put him and make him normal again. Like you don't get the second half of Justin Bieber's career, but similarly you don't get Chainsmokers either. You don't get like Skrillex being a pop producer as much as he is uh, like a solo artist. Um, Remember the time that Skrillex did a Kingdom Hearts song? I fucking love that song. Yeah, still. it's not. It <laughs> slaps. It slaps. That's the problem. It's so good. Yeah, so that me and Marcy have this fight continually. Like, I think Skrillex is a bad producer who, like, once every. It's something like twice a decade he comes out with an exceptionally good track. And the thing is that I got. Skrillex is one of the most important producers of our time. This is the thing. The problem is, as much it's as great. I can try and, like, commit to that take. It simply isn't tenable when he's fucking foundational to everything that I care about nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was thinking about this in the car. And I was thinking about um, the way that Gex pulls from everything else and makes its own thing that is also, I don't know. I was thinking about something that M said on the last episode of Voip Life. Um, which if people want to hear that, they can go give $10 a month to the Abnormal Mapping Patreon. Support the friends. Uh, yeah. And M posits on that episode that taste is not real. So I saw this take going around in the, like, we put out a clip to advertise VoIP life and was like, <laughs> I don't yet give M 10 bucks a month, but maybe I should in order to argue with them about this take. <laughs> and I think that Gex has convinced me that M is right. Because okay. <laughs> some of my friends hate Gex. And some of my friends think that Gex is the best band ever. And I've realized that there is nothing... There is no inherent quality to either me, the person who likes Gex, or to Gex itself that makes Gex good or bad there's nothing intrinsic in the dna of either of those things that gives me the reaction that i do the reason that i react so well to gex is that i live in a culture where i have heard all this pop music and i can assemble that pop music into my brain into liking gex does that make sense and there's a sort of like there's a sort of dialectical relationship between i um like, I kind of don't exist. 
a little bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to put this together in my head because I came up with this 45 minutes ago. Uh-huh. Like, there's a sort of dialectical relationship between me and culture, where culture informs my taste, and then my taste kind of, like, feeds back into culture, and they're always kind of feeding off of each other. Mm-hmm. And Gex is good to me. I respond well to Gex because I exist in the culture that could uh, condition me into responding well to Gex. And if I was, like, 10 years older than I am, maybe I wouldn't because I'd be like, man, there's a lot of fucking bleep bloops that are fucking annoying. <laughs> Brady, have some bleep bloops. Yeah. That's something, I think, something so true with this album. Because, like, yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel like all three of us cover, like, came up in a space to where, like, an album like this, like, isn't entirely too jarring to us. And, in fact, is, like, mm-hmm. fairly normalized. But, like, take this shit to, like, anyone who has, like, no framework for, like, th- this music. Mm-hmm. And, like... like if, you, fu- if you played this for someone whose favorite band was Huey Lewis in the news they would be like what the fuck am I listening to I mean because yeah I I totally agree the problem is you've said things I will agree with in what way does that not make your taste real you're literally just to be clear you're talking to someone who has paid 15 grand a year in order to think about the reality of socially constructed object this is my job <laughs> and so the reason that taste isn't real is because there's nothing about me that determines my taste. My taste is determined by the culture that I have already absorbed. Oh, so that's an even stronger point as in you don't have any agency over the construction of your taste. And that's like a a full on mm-hmm. death of the subject take on this. <laughs> um, yes. Whereas yes. like I think the only agency I have is in what I consume. Um, oh, we, which we're will going full drive culture future industry. decisions about what to consume. Yeah, no, you're like full on Adorno. That I like, I disagree respectfully, but not, <laughs> but but not because I think that that's like incorrect about the historic, like the historical and cultural analysis part. It's that I think that like if you're serious about there being a proper dialectical co-construction of the thing then you do construct subjectivities mediated through these cultures. Like, I don't think that there is, like, nothing but passive reception going on when we are filled in by culture and the way it informs who we are. I think that there has to be, like, that, like, bodies and internal mental capacities and, uh, like, this is where the, like... uh, objective aspects, like, our actual material circumstances contribute to the ways in which our subjectivity is formed that aren't simply just like impositions from Mm -hmm. the external Mm -hmm. culture as in like there is some like active constitution part on the level of the individual which means that every individual is constituted positively but actively differently depending on how they're situated so that like there are (laughs) <laughs> this is like this is the classic Adorno versus Foucault constitution of the subject stuff. This is uh, this is <laughs> we. Can, I should have just left the Foucault talk in the last episode. Yeah, we, we, we <laughs> inevitably bottoming out, bottoming out this every single time. So the reason I think that taste is real isn't like anything particular about your view of how subjects are formed. It's more that like mm-hmm. if you take that the, there's this like co-constitutive relationship, then that's real. That's sufficiently real to talk about it and do things with it like 
How, okay. What's the historical relationship that's formed it? How can I change the conditions I'm subject to? How can I like expose myself to different things? How can I obtain better senses? Or like, how can I put this? Um, you, there's a you level might be of how can you come around this? to your way of thinking? Fucking <laughs> okay. So th- th- let me do it in two senses. Like you could read a book that tells you about how art works at you, and like feel mm-hmm. more informed. Is that going to change your, like, affective responses? Is that going to change, like, you get handed the new Gex album and you feel a certain way instantaneously because you have new knowledge? I'm not sure, but I think over the long run it will have an effect. That, like, our collective social activity does change our, like, instinctive affective responses to stuff. That's just a thing Mm -hmm. I'm committed to believing. I don't think that, like, affect is something that is just prior to all of our conscious linguistic active processes i think we can dynamically interact with affect affect sorry i should define affect because that's a technical term that people will not know if they haven't fucking studied post-structural theory fuck (laughs) it is something that i have picked up from game study study buddies but i could do with a i could i think i understand it in the context that you're talking about it but yeah so affect is not synonymous with emotions emotions are the sort of like linguistically intelligible like sentiments that we get out like you feel a certain way that's an affect and you describe it linguistically as an emotion happiness like elation confusion whatever it might be affect is trying to get to the pre-linguistic bit it's the like what's the gut feeling what's the like psychological condition instantaneously you're put in when you see a piece of media or walk into a room and are gendered a certain way and feel the oppressive stare of eyes on you whatever it might be that like Affect is trying to get to the sort of pre-linguistic aspect, the sort of like direct experiential aspect. And emotions might be the way to cash out the, like, how do you describe it? Um, Like, that again, that's a bad definition because many books have been written about the dividing line between the sort of like, like the, the, the mere phenomenology, the affective part and the like linguistic part, the bit you can analyze with language and structures. But like for a rough and ready definition, I think you can change your gut instincts and feelings through understanding the world in different ways and thinking actively in different ways. And most importantly, reorganizing your social world and material world in a different way. So like when I say taste, taste is real, it's in the sense that it is an object that we can like manipulate using our social and material practices. Not that like it's something that is either poured into us through a culture that we cannot interact with in a way that like just leaves us helpless to its whims or in a way that we have like sovereign reign and agency over it. I don't think either of those extremes is plausible. If you're a dialectician, you probably think everything is mediated and (laughs) co-constructed. That was my, yeah, fuck, fuck. Inevitably we go there every single podcast. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm glad you brought this energy to the episode about 100 Gex. I started to put it together, and as I was putting it together in my head, I started to tell Nora about this this feeling in the car, and she started being like, she started disagreeing with me, and then she's like, I hope I'm not being a dick by disagreeing so fervently, and I'm like, no, 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 you're just getting me ready for regs, because I'm going to bring this to regs, and we're going to bring up <laughs> affect theory. Um, <laughs> oh, <fuck. sighs> um, I think, I think I'm coming around to your way of thinking. But I definitely I'm going to need to re- listen back to the episode and like 
keep chewing on this in my head mm -hmm. because I'm also I'm also thinking about like taste is not real maybe maybe taste isn't real but um I decided this year I've never played a JRPG in in full I'd played some here and there um but I just decided to play Final Fantasy 8 because I decided that I wanted to um develop an interest in JRPGs and now I have that interest and so I am I am choosing to interact with this piece of culture in a specific way that is also then filtering into every other JRPG I play. I'm like, well, it's not Final Fantasy VIII, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, God. So you're now an FF8 evangelist having never cared about the genre whatsoever before. Are we exposing the like, holes in Autumn's FF8 fandom? How to hear first, well, folks. <laughs> There are no flaws in my FF8 fandom because I really do think it's the best video game and they're never going to make a better one. Yeah, the problem is I can tell you there are three good video games. One is Kentucky Route Zero, two is Ridge Racer, and the third is a rotating game that I decide depending on what I care about at that particular moment in time. You, my friend, you should listen. You should play, sorry, not play, um, The Silence Under Your Bed because I think it would get at... Um, a lot of the things that you like about Kentucky Road Zero. Um, this is a visual novel of sorts that I was just turned on to recently um, that is just about two teens hanging out and telling each other scary stories, and I think that it would get at oh. the thing that you love in Kentucky Road Zero. Cass Core is a writer who I really like, so I will definitely check yes, this out. Yes, yes. Um, I read one of their... Um, like Kindle ebooks once, um, Hammers on Bone. That's very awesome. good. I, um, and then Michael Lutz is. Uh, they're going to update it on Halloween Day to add a bunch of Michael Lutz stories in there. So that's. Ooh, cool. excellent! Awesome! Thank you. Um, yeah, like video games are all bad when they're about mechanics. This is my conclusion, except for Ridge Racer, which is the yes. only game that has perfect mechanics. That's true. That's also true. <laughs> <laughs> This uh, this also brings us to because as I was playing um, the silence under your bed, I had the brief thought. I was like, "What if I brought a video game soundtrack to um, Hot Singles?" And I remembered uh, Dio Lucina is doing this work over at uh, was doing exactly the sort of work that I would want to be doing over at Pace Magazine with her column Audio Logs. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably not bringing any video game soundtracks to this uh, episode anytime or to this podcast anytime soon. I mean, should read. Yeah. Dee's writing yeah. is amazing. I really let love it. Let me that. know whenever she covers a Sonic R soundtrack. Just let me know. <laughs> I will I'll I'll get in her DMs and be like, hey Dia, can you talk about <laughs> Sonic after you finish up this Final Fantasy shit? Yeah, God. <laughs> to be honest, I I should like flag. Richard Jerk is a bad person who should not keep getting our money, but we should celebrate that soundtrack because it's the fucking best soundtrack ever. Um I would I would like <laughs> I would be entirely okay with us talking about that. Like I love Dia's writing and would be incredibly up for for just like letting her do that and that being a thing that we don't touch. But if there are really interesting intertextual things we can do, I think we should fucking go for it mm. because why not? Mm. But yeah, we have gone very, very loop. This is why you said we're going to do a seven hour podcast. <laughs> I, 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 it took me. I was, took, I was, I was here. I was ready. I was ready. For it this. took me. It took me ten minutes to figure out what the take was, but that was the take. That was the. You did the take, right? That there. was the take. I, I wanted to like sit back and like kind of absorb and like I, I needed a little bit of that conversation to warm me up to like and also to give the listeners some context because maybe not. It's weird to imagine 
with some of our other episodes, I can imagine someone not listening to the Purple album, Mountains album before listening to the episode. It's hard to imagine someone listening to this podcast in October of 2020 who hasn't heard the Gex album. But if you haven't, I needed our conversation to establish that Gex is in conversation with a million other cultural texts. Yeah. Um, and again, I mentioned to talk about Gex is to talk about culture. Yeah, I fucking <laughs> mentioned Mouthmood specifically for this reason. Like mm-hmm. finding and riff, uh, fucking every one of my IRL friends who listens to this podcast is going to be fucking furious that I said the word resuscitate because every fucking reading group I try and resuscitate a thing that's become the meme. That I try and resuscitate <laughs> things in theory. But yeah, like, the attempt to, like, pick through the cultural detritus and find things that, like, ab- again, far beyond irony poisoning. Like, we genuinely love the thing that this piece of lowbrow culture is doing. And we're committed to, like, finding things uh, in all of our lowbrow culture that actually give us incredible experiences. That's, like, God, a, that's, that's it, sorry, I mean, I- it's functionally that it's the same, like, task that, like, in the in all the sound design that's abusive, in all the sound design that's like fucking incoherent, in all the beat switches, in all the like comedy stuff, in all the fucking sky interludes, like they're there not because they're simply funny, but they're both funny and effective, and it's cool to find stuff that is simultaneously funny and effective. Um and that like that's something impressive in its own right, and that like can't be reduced away from those sorts of projects that try and do something like that. Like, the fact that it's picking through cultural detritus is, like, an active part of, like, how you build the experience. And, like, this is exactly it. Like, we only care about this because, like, we've heard a billion Skrillex tracks and a billion Uzi tracks. Like, that's the Mm -hmm. reason it sticks and fits that and, like, tickles the lizard brain is because Mm -hmm. because it's, like, bouncing off things that are, like, hiding in our memory in exciting and new ways like it can't simply be like attended to as this like abstract art object it's deeply embedded in culture and that's the only reason it's interesting I've, i don't know it's not the only reason it's interesting it's got all of the sorts of things going on in its own terms but it's like mm-hmm. crucial for it that it is like an intertextual kind of album in a way that like the car album just isn't mm-hmm this that is makes also me, oh, go on, you go sorry. Marcy you go Marcy okay sorry I just want to make a fucking a point I mean I, I feel like I've had like I have several points I want to make this out this album but like one of this like like fucking like way too often I see people come at this album as like a joke album yeah like there like there are people seri- like like real people out there to like look at this thing and think like they're all just like doing shits and giggles here. When like f- like like it is seen so clear to me that like there's like a lot of like of course there's like like irony poison shit in this album like fucking like brain poison teens it's like part of our nature but like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like th- like it is so obvious like how much like genuine effort and expression there is like the like this music and like music like it and like it just like it really pains me when I see people just like ignore that and just try to dismiss it. This is the reason that. Um, the thing you said actually feeds into the thing that I was going to say even better, which is just that, like, there's a reason that I like this album a lot, and then I've never really liked Girl Talk very much, because Girl Talk always feels like it is standing up above, like, all the stuff it's mashing up, and, like, looking down on, um, looking down on all those things for not being, uh, smart enough or something, 
Whereas Gex really feels like a, like, I've grown up in the social media age and just my entire brain is dial-up sounds and beep boops and fucking, um, like, songs that I heard on a ringtone in 2008. <laughs> I got more or less and Don Brady listened to Crazy Frog and thought, this is the fucking best song ever made. This is so, this, this song's you amazing. You know what, because I was six when Crazy Frog came out and I also was like, this is the best song ever. <laughs> It is, though. I mean, have you ever heard a top line quite so hooky and memorable as the Crazy Frog one? The, the answer is no. The literal answer is no. Yeah, and, like, my... Because, like, my brain is just, like, on any given day, I am liable to get, um... I want it that way, stuck in my head. Oh, my For literally God. 12 hours. And, like... <laughs> This feels like the sort of album you make when you have I Want It That Way stuck in your head for 12 hours and you want to start clawing off your own face. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> to come back to my thing, like, that, that I think, like, it, I don't know, like, it, I get, like, a kind of, like, knee-jerk response whenever, like, people, like, list, like hear 100 Gex and, like, dismiss it off turn. Mm-hmm. And we're, like, I, I just, like, wish people would, like, and engage with the album on its terms and like you know the things it set out for itself mm-hmm. like en- en- engage with it don't just like like look at it and saying oh this shit's fucking weirdo shit yeah i think there are some shit posty things about this album but i think like like it is it is earnest and it is heartfelt it is not like I'm going to make fun of you, the listener, for liking it. I think it's just like, oh, I had this little shit post in my head, and I'm going to share it with you. you yeah, know? like, I'm not saying, like, it has to be your thing. Like, obviously, like, mm-hmm. people have, like, you know, all the music they like and stuff. But, like, I would just encourage people to, like, you know, like, see the album for what it is instead of trying to, like, turn into, like, something that's very much not. Yeah. Um, what's everybody's favorite track on this album? I hand crushed. Why is it ringtone? I, I flip flop. It's it's hand crushed by Malice. The thing, thing about ringtone is that I think the remix is better. Yeah. The okay. The Kira the um, the Kira Kira Bonito, uh Charlie XCX remix is so good. Don't forget Rico Nasty on there. Rico Nasty. Oh yeah, Rico Nasty is on there. Yeah. Um, we have to at this point just like okay, there was a remix album called A Thousand Gex in the Tree Clues. It's mm-hmm. it's fun. There's some chaotic shit on there. There's some straight up, like we've made it. They've made a dubstep tra- like EDM track there. There is shout out to Rico Harbor. Yeah, there's the fucking Fallout Boy Craig Owens track, which is it fucking blows. There's really mind. a Fallout Boy Craig Owens track. Yeah, there really is. <laughs> um, there's a, there's a Eurodance remix with Tommy Cash and Hannah, Hannah Diamond. The to- That's the, great. The, 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 I, I would never stop one. Was dying to find a way to kill time I didn't even get to tell you goodbye I was dying to find a way to kill time Now you're gone and I can't ever say goodbye This feeling's going through my head I'm thinking things I shouldn't say 
I've probably only listened to the first six or seven tracks on here, so I don't have a ton to say about Tree of Clues, except that that ringtone remix is so good. Yeah, it just is. Oh, the the Injury Reserve 745 sticky is super fucking good. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the fucking all the way pots and pans. This, like, again, Mm. this is the sort of thing where you see, like, this is how you build out a scene. This is how you, like, turn this jokey thing into, like, we have built a set of collective understandings that like don't need to be renegotiated every single time an album like this comes out. That's the main thing. But like, we don't have to debate the nature of a thousand gex every single time an album like a thousand gex comes out. Cause we've like settled the debate about irony poisoning ourselves. We've settled debate about whether it's okay to write pop songs based on early 2000s emo tracks or like updated Skrillex beats. Like, that we can just park and make good pop songs in that style. And you get artists like, and just looking through the list here, like Omru and Rico Hava and um, Dorian Electra and Black Dresses. And then also the bigger names like Cara Cara Benito, A.G. Cook, Charlie XCX, who are like all here completely in the same lane doing the thing that they were always doing anyway. It's just they become culturally intelligible to us now. Like they've become normal. To that, not mm-hmm. not normal relative to some like abstract dominant standard, but normal within the like set of practices and set of sounds and ideas that they've all established among each other. And it's just fucking great that that's true. It's fucking great that like that scene has emerged and stabilized and become coherent in a way that just like is an entry point into dance music for so many more people. I'm just excited. Hyperpop is good, actually. Good that's that's my take for this episode. Hyperpop is good, actually. <laughs> it's a good music. I I wish we could fucking stop de- like uh, debating about like genre alliances and shit and <gasps> definitions. Yeah, I I feel like people want to draw lines around this album, and then the album is very explicitly about like, hey, all these like all these lines that you thought were there, like we can cross them and we can play with them and we can do interesting things with them. Yeah. So just like the 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 recent drama as of a week ago was AG Cook got invited to curate the the Spotify hyperpop playlist and how do you really bring this up? I am here? I'm bringing this up because <laughs> why the fuck not? And as well as putting a bunch of artists he liked on it, um, he also put like Kate Bush and Dilla and Scritti Politti, who are like Fizo. yeah, fucking Dove separate. Yeah, so like, why are they there? And people were like. Oh, that's not hyperpop. Why the fuck is Kate Bush on a hyperpop playlist? And I think it fundamentally misunderstands the point that like this whole collection, whether you call it hyperpop or not, this whole collection of music is about finding what is ecstatic and joyous in and among all the cultural detritus, both highbrow and lowbrow, and extracting what is powerful and impactful about it and using it. And I don't want to be I want to be clear, that's not some sort of like unmediated or unconditioned version of powerful and effective like there is a distinct kind of whiteness that comes through in this new scene in the way it's extracted stuff from like it doesn't well this is the thing it extracts stuff from very white music traditions and therefore like produces an outcome or like a a product Mm -hmm. that is extremely white by consequence not through lack of like looking around well, sorry, by lack of looking around as an act of exclusion rather than an act of, like, having standards that would, like, privilege in one sense or another. Maybe? I don't know. That might not be a defensible idea. 
it might be that the mm-hmm. standards, what people actually find effective or powerful, are like according to a very set of white white kind of standards, as EDM is historically. Um, dance music is not. EDM became that very starkly as it became commercial and became hyper capitalist. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. that was the diversions. Like what might be the problem with a genre like hyperpop? But at its core, like of course you put Scritti Politti and uh, like if anyone hasn't and wants to like get one of the great antecedents to this kind of pop music, um, Cupid, uh, cute was it? Cupid Nine? No, I'm mixing up different um, album titles. Yeah, Cupid and Psyche 85 is the name of the iconic Scritti Politti album. I love this album to death. It's one of the great antecedents of like both or all sorts of things. Um, electro, um, hyperpop broadly, um, the like plunderphonics approach to sound design, all sorts of different things are hiding in this album. I love it. You should go listen to it. But like, of course that's there because the job of hyperpop is to find and rescue all the um, the most interesting and salvageable bits from all kinds of crap in culture. And like, <laughs> of course you find that just as much in EDM artists as you do in 80s new wave pop albums, as you do in mm-hmm. 90s beats, as you do in aughts R&B. Like, of course it's all in there because that's the like range of cultural detritus you've been exposed to. And if you don't think it's there, if you think your formalism is just coming from within your genre, then like you don't understand how your taste has been constructed. So it does go back there to is, does go back to that conversation, there, but I fully agree with it. There is a, um, a a video of Big Boy, the rapper, talking about how uh, "Running Up That Hill" by Kate Bush is his favorite song, mm. and that video is hyper pop to me. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still wincing every time like any of us say hyper pop on here. <laughs> That's fair. You developed it. Because like a point at like no, oh no, I'll point I would like to make about that is like like uh, uh, Rex Rex alluded to that Spotify hyper pop playlist to where because 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 hundred gex is like blown up in the way they did and exposed like you know a audience that would never check out this kind of music onto like. Uh, like a large group of artists that like, are out here making music and like doing shit like there's now this like fear and worry about like because there's eyes on it now like of like outside forces and like the music industry trying to like like compartmentalize and like commodify like mm. this scene which like because like you know like w- like whenever like fucking you know big industry people come in into a scene and like try to turn into like a bigger thing and like give it like a sheen and like, you know like you know all of a sudden like you know you see like bigger art like you know like mega stars like taking influence like trying to like hop on like this sound mm-hmm. like shit, shit goes bad like real quick and like it's like lays like scenes in their waist so like now like now this is where it's like you know 100 guesses come like you know has blown up and like where do things go from here like do mm-hmm. they change like does like fucking like who's a who's a oh, like sean mendez or something like is he like does like don brady start like producing like, sean mendez tracks and like try to like work up a hit i'm waiting the, waiting for the, the charlie feels, <laughs> the thing that feels like a layup to me is that 
I think the next Billie Eilish album is going to take a lot of influence from Gex. I'm not. I'm not ready if that <laughs> happens. I mean, that feels God, very uh, obvious. My fucking to my me. Twitter is going to go to shit. Yeah, oh, the, God. The, the the Charlie XCX moonshot is exactly that because it, Charlie XCX like, is making those albums now. It's just yeah, like Charlie. Yeah, Charlie, yeah, Charlie pop, just has been doing that. Out. Like she's yeah. like, like she's made like a cultural like like spotlight on like this kind of stuff. Yeah. We're just waiting for a pop star to do it at a different level on the order of like yeah. two billion views instead of twenty million YouTube views. Like we're waiting for that to happen. I, I I just think that Billie Eilish is the one to do it. I think that this is extremely her fucking lane. Yeah. You know? If that's a call, then I think it's a good call. So I like Billie Eilish too. This is not no, uh, Billie Eilish. Agree, agree. <laughs> oh she's oh I like her enough. I oh I don't have to get against her. Yet. <laughs> yet yeah there's no point yeah, she's yet. gonna lana del rey us in like three years oh but that's no fine. don't <laughs> lana's also banned from this podcast i'm saying it now officially <sighs> so yeah um have we picked this carcass enough or do we want to talk about the actual music a bit like i feel like all the stuff i want to talk about is mostly covered yeah, same here. So, same here. I, have some, I have so many things I could talk about this fucking album. Yeah. <laughs> if I have, like, a, a point about the music itself, like, Autumn was right at the start, like, there is so much pop going on here that it's masking how much weirdness is going on, but also it works the other way around, that, like, the weirdness is controlled in very pop ways. Um, you never, mm-hmm. this is an album that, like, never overwhelms you, never just descends into complete chaos, because it would defeat the point of it, which is to be a pop record. Um... So even with all the like, was it sticky goes shit? Get 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 goes to shit. Like, they are, they go to shit in ways that are still like pleasant and intelligible enough that you're like rooted, and it's just fine to just blast through that and go onto a pop track. Um, like, I I mean I'm like again it's just like a stunning production job that the both of them are like act- actually properly excellent producers and know how to like make stuff weird and compelling without getting aggressive or well, some of it is aggressive some like without getting incoherent or unlistenable in the way that some of the edm they're actively drawing from really does yeah there's a the album could very easily i think veer into becoming like metal machine music <laughs> um, <laughs> and it Christ. doesn't do that uh. Yeah, it's not deliberately. It do that. It's very. De- it's like the opposite of that. It's like it could try and make itself an affront, and it doesn't. It's like mm-hmm. trying to give you every possible hook to make the aggressive, awkward, like extreme sound design like accessible and easy for you to just like push into in a in a comfortable way. Um. Yeah, I, I think they, I. Th- <laughs> sorry, uh, I, I okay. I th- I think about sometimes about like why th- why this was the album that like that popped off. Like when I I know there's been like people out there that, like you know making music like this, like you know that's been like grinding like fucking for years and like this is the thing that blew up, and like the th- I don't know the only thing I can really come around to other than like you know jokes that people found funny like you know like a ska song or whatever, is that it's like it's just a very like solid body of work of like what this music mm-hmm. is yeah, like i no. think they just like real like nailed down like like a I very think the like, songwriting a, like, a on this album is great i think stupid horse is like not only like like 
fun and weird, but it's also a song that like you can get an audience to sing along to. And I think like the live show is like a big part of why this album blew up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking like yeah. Like like th- that th- at Brockhampton tour, like where they brought on a hundred X and Slothai on tour with them. I haven't kept God. up with Brockhampton since the since the mixtapes. Like I haven't kept up with any of their major stuff, major label stuff. It's uh, uh it's been it's been a it's been a trip. It's, it's been a some stuff happened. Some things happened. Yeah, that's the thing is that like around the time I fell off was because of like the Amin stuff, and I didn't know how to like uh, Amir. Sorry, not Amin. Amir uh, Amir stuff, and I didn't know how to parse like anything and so i kind of just fell off listening to brock Hampton, i mean it's like, just disappointing yeah, it's i think it's just not too. as exciting as it used to be yeah, the, like i think like the music's still all right but it's yeah yeah i was i, I showed my my i showed marcy and artist a couple of nights ago and was just like what do you think i get brock hampton shades from one or two of these tracks and marcy was just like you're underselling how good this artist is brock hampton are only fine at this point in time <laughs> so i did say that yeah um, which i think is entirely reasonable um but i think i think i think i think jfig mafia stole a lot of thunder to be honest yeah. oh my god i was trying to i was trying to decide about maybe we should uh do jpeg mafia on the show but i kind of want to wait for the new jpeg mafia track i don't want to talk about cornballs i think maybe you know i do want to talk about cornballs but i think maybe i'm waiting for jpeg mafia to put something new out and then we can do it on the show fair very fair unless you want to talk about cornballs which i'm always down to talk about i like cornballs <laughs> i don't have so many things to say about it that i feel an urgent need to talk about it so i'm fine living yeah. until the new project comes so yeah god marcy do you have any more like wrap-up thoughts before we get the fuck out uh... of here because it wasn't four hours. It's definitely been almost two. No, yeah. It's been less, yeah. <laughs> it's the longest episode, but we did cover three albums. Yeah, that's true. And also, I said that taste isn't real. I knew going into this, I had a lot of thoughts about 100 gigs. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm glad you've kept it down at least Two hours somewhat. is reasonable. Oh, no. I think, I, I think I, like, a thing I would just say is, like, I like this album a lot. I think 100 gigs are cool. I'm excited about like what they're gonna do next. I like wh- like whatever future music they're doing. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of artists in this scene that are like out like you know doing cool shit. Shout out to like uh, Goopy, Fraxium, you know, Yumru, all fucking all those people. Hey, have you heard of um the Thos? Is it a Thos? Thos Moser? Th- is it a Thos Moser? Is that Th- Thos Moser? Th- Thos Moser. Is it Moser? Did I pronounce that right? I think it's I think it's Moser. Hmm. Hmm. I'm gonna need to do some more research. That I'm doing a bit. This is a <laughs> that, bit. Man, I thought I thought Moser's so good and good song. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, like I I encourage anyone to like you know you know start like start checking in like you know like you know these people because I think there's a lot of people doing cool shit and like. I think Hunter Gex has exposed a lot of people to like this kind of like the sound of like what it can offer. Um, but yeah, Marcy, since you're our guest, do you want to say where people can find you online? 
Uh, yeah. Um, funny question about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Weird time to ask you that question. Yeah. So, uh, you can find me at Marcy online on Twitter, which, um, if you heard me on like, uh, podcast other than this, um, you would hear, know that, uh, that wasn't my original Twitter name. And that's because my whole Twitter got taken down for reasons unbeknownst to me. So yeah, I have a new account that you can follow me at. Fuck Twitter.com. Fuck Twitter. Retweeted too many girls. Now your Twitter's gone. I swear that's my only <laughs> suspicion as to why. I swear to God. It's like, I don't know what else it could fucking be. Uh, fuck Twitter. Fuck Twitter. Uh, Regs, yeah. where could people find you online and do you have an album for next time? Yeah, uh, you can find me at Regression with three S's on Twitter.com. You can also find my other awesome, cool podcast at Stan Ontology, which is a K-pop track breakdown podcast. Think um, Song Exploder, but for K-pop and with more added cultural criticism because, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> if we've taken a slight break because we recorded two and a bit hours about the two and a half, three hours about BTS, and I am struggling to turn that into an intelligible podcast. But it's on its way soon, and you'll get two, probably, episodes about what the fuck is a BTS. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in that, if you're interested in a, like, ten-episode series to, like, lead up to an explainer of, like, what the fuck K-pop is, how it became what it is, and what a BTS is, and how it works, check that out. Do you have an album? Oh, fuck. You asked me, do I have an album? <laughs> Can I say what you think on that? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on here, by the way, y'all. Uh, yeah. yeah, my first time on here. I knew I was, I was, I was bound to show up on here at some point. And we'll get you on basically anytime you want. Like if you told me right now that you had an album you wanted to talk about for the next episode, I'd be like, okay, sure. Fucking, I got no idea. I'd have to think about <laughs> that for a minute. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, I'm settled. Okay. Uh, okay. Me. So again, this is one where I I feel like I want to flip a coin. Do I have a coin to hand? No, the answer is no. I'm trying to find a thing that I can spin. Um, hey, cap is okay. Give me cap or uh, hmm. Give me pencil or a razor. I'm going to spin a pencil and I'm going to see which way it points. Um, pencil. Eraser. Eraser. Fuck. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, the album is, um, yeah, here it is. Ecstatic Computation by Katerina Barbieri. Okay. I have Typing no idea what that in. is. I think. I have no idea what that yeah, is. I'm interested to see what you come away with this. How do you spell that? Oh, I got it. Ecstatic Computation by Katerina Barbieri. Well, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. I've got a new pinned tweet that links to all my podcasts where you can support this show, where you can support me directly. Um, and the only thing uh, that's not in that pinned tweet is that Export Audio now has a YouTube channel, Export Video. Um, Damn, where I'm creative playing names. Resident Evil. Uh, it's a very good name. As soon as I realized that Export Video was a name that I could use for something, I was like, oh, I guess I have to start a YouTube channel. Mm, that's branding, uh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm less, I'm less playing the first Resident Evil game. Um, it's it's very fun. There there have been... Uh, it's been... It, I, I don't know. I don't have anything to say. It's fun. Can I, um, can I ask... Go watch it. Can I ask how you dealt with the 
game facts of doom situation oh i'll send you a clip so this episode's <laughs> not up yet this episode's gonna go up on october 19th um which was just um i accidentally for the last 15 minutes of the episode i recorded yesterday uh left the recording uh on a game facts page instead of on <laughs> my um gameplay and so for the last 15 minutes i have edited in some some goofs some jokes some uh <laughs> some japery always some to, goofs <laughs> to uh cover up for my hilarious blunder um and the album that I'm going to bring on for the next al- uh, for the next episode is by Backwash, which is spelled back. Oh shit! You're going to talk about Backwash? Yeah, Nora I showed saw- me this, and I, I still haven't listened to that record, but I know people have been talking about it. Um, the the album that's the artist. The album is God has nothing to do with this. Leave him out of it. Uh, Nora started listening to this album a bunch, and I listened to one song and was like, you know what, we're just going to do that on the next Hot Singles. This is really good. So um, Interesting. Um, the album is free. It's not on streaming services because there are definitely a bunch of samples. that Get that uh, shit on Bandcamp. Yeah, get that shit on Bandcamp. Throw them like five, ten bucks or whatever. You know, like this is... This is the good shit. This is good shit. So it's pay what you want, and I'm um, downloading it right now. And if I like it enough, I will give them some money once I listen to it. Yeah. Um. Sick. So yeah, that's the next. Uh, that's the next episode. Oh, um, I, I like we'll that. See you all then. I like the tags. I just sorry to hip hop, hip hop rap, occult horrorcore, Montreal. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. That tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah, I think they got some. They got. I think they got some pop off uh, kickback of uh, Black Dresses success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think either Ed, like uh, Ed is on guitar in bits in the yeah. Album. Uh, Rook is on the f- uh, second song and Devi's on the third song. Ah, so ah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's how that's how Nora found out about uh, this album. Makes and, perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, I've I've only dipped into it. I think I've listened to the first three songs now. Um, it's really good. So wonderful. Yeah. Um, um, I'm, I'm almost like, did I pick the right way with my pick? But no, nah, I want you to listen to this album and I want to see what you think about I'm it. I'm looking at this is, this is so Rex core. It's, it's, fucking... it's the most Rex core <laughs> album, but I also, th- I, I appreciate your bringing... taste like to the death, but Jesus, like, it, like you, you got a thing <laughs> this... you really just run with it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, fucking... so when we started out, <laughs> this album cover is very Reg core. Let's look at some song titles here. Um, Fant- okay, Fantas, yeah. Spine yeah. of Desire, uh, Closest Approach to Your Orbit, Arrows of Time, Pinnacles of You, and Bows of Perception. Um, I will just yeah. say that like I had an alternative option for this and I wanted to do something that was in the space. When we said Reg score at the start, it was like electronic experimental indie albums that were about queerness the this isn't fully Mm -hmm. in that direction but in terms of experimental electronic albums we're in this wheelhouse Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm excited i want to i want to hear thoughts all right well uh i've got i've got two missed calls from my dad and so uh we're gonna hang it up here thank you everybody for listening to this uh extra long episode it's been a pleasure (laughs) thank you Marcy, for coming on thanks for listening yeah thank you yeah yeah glad to be here